Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio. Reporting from the basement at the Dairy Civic Center, this is Sam Alexander with the news. It's that time of year again, citizens. The Dairy Public Library Dodgebook Tournament is set to begin this afternoon. For more, we go live to our sports correspondent on the scene, Dr. John Hellijohn. Doctor? Thank you, CM, and please, doctor is my father's name. Call me Dr. John Hellijohn. The Dairy Civic Center is buzzing with excitement as the first round kicks off with the R.L. Shine facing the William Shakespeare's. For more action, stay tuned. You're listening to Dairy Public Radio. This is Dairy Public Radio. Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio, a bi-weekly Stephen King Book Club podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Joshua Kahn, alongside CM Alexander. Hello, everyone. And Benjamin Graham. What's up, constant readers? Well, I'll tell you what's up, Ben. Dairy Public Radio is, uh, we're having our own March Madness. Woo! Woo! Sports! <laughs> CM uh, doesn't know how March Madness works. It's not football. That is true. Do you know what sport it is? The one with the ball. Yeah. Yep. Nailed it. That is the one. All right. Um, we just thought this would be super fun to do for for March. Give you some bonus episodes because, as it turns out, once we completed Firestarter, that was our sixteenth book that we've covered. And so I thought we would do our sweet sixteen bracket to find out of all those books if we had to boil it down to one book, what is our favorite book? Ooh. Not the best book necessarily. What's our favorite book? I'm concerned because I've given a lot of our books five out of five blue <laughs> chambray shirts. God. <laughs> Hence, uh, our seeding system. So for those of you who uh, participate in March Madness, this will make sense to you. If you don't, it'll be a little harder. But I have put all of our books, I have seeded them based on the total score of blue chambray shirts they have gotten. And I did it in the order in which they got five stars. For instance, our number one seed is Misery because it's the first full book we gave five out of five. Uh, the number two seed is The Long Walk because it was the second book that we gave five out of five blue chamber shirts from all three of us. And so on and so forth until we get to the book that is in last place, our uh, 16th seed. Uh, I've also decided that because there are four different stories in different seasons, we're going to have a play-in game to see which story from different seasons will go on to represent different seasons as a whole in the tournament. All right. I lost well, a few of you, I'm sure. I've zoned out entirely. I'm just here to talk about books. You said seed a lot. Yeah, I, did, I did say seed a lot. Now, the way this is going to work is I'm going to announce the matchups. We'll talk about the books, and then we'll go around the table and we will vote. Whichever book gets two out of three votes will move on in the tournament to go face another book. Okay. Sounds uh, fair. We will rotate who gets to be that first, second, and third pick, so that way we can change it up. All right, let's get to the action. Our very first matchup. Are you guys ready? I'm ready. <laughs> All right. Our very first matchup is our number one seed, Misery, versus our number 16 seed, The Running Man. I vote for Misery. <laughs> <laughs> our, five out of five, blue chambray You're saying <laughs> our worst reviewed book is uh, The Running is the Man? the Running Man, based on the total scores 
It is wow, the lowest. I'm book. not surprised. <laughs> oh, and this does not include the movies, right? Or the adaptations? Yes, I um, I'm taking adaptations completely off the Oof. table to discuss because not everything has an adaptation. So I'm gonna keep an, an even playing field. That is a rough rule for the running man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really is. Because <laughs> it was its only saving grace. <laughs> the only way I could have voted for is if I were voting entirely on the scene where the hockey guy <laughs> shoots some other guy into a weird net yes, cage. Yes, that is true. Well, let's, uh, let's, this is, We'll consider this our warm-up round, because I feel like there's not going to be any surprises here. So <laughs> let's talk about our number one seed. Let's talk about Misery. CM, it's Annie Wilkes. She's my hero. And I can say that now <laughs> without shame, because I watched Castle Rock season two. And she is a hero, you guys. Like, but we can't base it off of adaptations. Yeah. And also, Shit. I didn't see that, so I have no idea what you're talking about. Now, see, having... So much time since we've read Misery. How has the the time since we've moved on from it affected your views of it? They have not wavered. Yeah. Absolutely I, not. Yeah. I this book is going to be permanently on my body. It's going to go with my other Stephen King book tattoos. It impacted me so much. I was so surprised by how much I loved it. I wasn't expect I wasn't expecting to find a new favorite book because I had read so much Stephen King already that I thought I knew, you know, I love these books. I love these books slightly less and I love these books slightly, slightly less. <laughs> There's no not liking any. But you gave right. them all five out of five, which is what really tore our seating process apart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, at, Misery is just a classic it will forever be uh i talk to a lot of people about stephen king because i'm just a huge fucking king nerd yep and whenever he comes up in conversation i will just go off on it and when i run into people who inevitably say you know i'm not a huge king fan or i've never i've never actually read a king book where should i start number one with a bullet misery absolutely every time it is so well written the characters the suspense uh, you it's so fucking good can i don't know if this counts josh because adaptations don't count but i i have to admit that part of the reason i love misery so much is because they are those three episodes that we recorded are my three top episodes that we've ever done because it was so much fun having those discussions with you guys that it has endeared that book to me even more than I think it probably would have if I had just read it on my own. We hadn't like had this critical talk about it. That I, I can see where you're coming from. That's also one of those things people ask me when they when I talk to them about the podcast. They ask, you know, if if they were they should listen to, and I obviously say just start at the beginning. That makes the most sense. But if I have to pick a book for them to start with. I usually send them towards the misery episodes because I think it was just such a blast. It's such a great book. Uh, CM, I'm going to go to this. What is the, the most memorable moment of misery? If you had to pull out one scene, what's the scene? You need a minute. <laughs> I, 
Sorry, that all of these scenes just like <laughs> flat the whole the entire book. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, the entire book. <laughs> oh, it's really hard to pick between. I mean, obviously, when she is cutting off part of him, that is a, a visceral, brutal scene that just hurts you. But then, in contrast to that, towards the very end. When he finishes the book and he's, you know, tricked her into thinking like, hey, we're all good. We're going to celebrate. And she goes to get like champagne and dessert and he's waiting and ready for her. He's going to torch this manuscript when she walks back into the room and her just complete devastation. And I felt so confused and almost like there was maybe something a little wrong with me because I felt so bad for her in that moment when her world came crashing down because she I said she's my hero she's really messed up and psychotic (laughs) wow this is a real uh development for you cm you're you're admitting that uh there's some might be something might, might be. something off about that Annie Wilkes character. But in classic CM fashion, she gave several answers to one question. Damn it! <laughs> uh, ben, one one takeaway from Misery. What's what's your scene? The it's not so much a scene as the the one visual that I have always taken with me. What I really love about the book is, like you said, his. The way he writes about addiction is so, so clear and uh, understandable. And I have always remembered, ever since the first time I read the book in high school, Paul's description of the pylon in the water at the beach. And the pain uh, being this pylon that, whether you can see it or not, is always there. And the medicine, the uh, Navril. Navril being the tide that just covers it up is such a poetic way to talk about pain and addiction. It It's always stuck with me. I love that. To counterbalance the sincerity of that, <laughs> weirdly enough, the scene that I always think about when I think of misery is when she runs over that dude with a tractor. <laughs> with a lawnmower. <laughs> yeah, that is pretty fucking rad. <laughs> like, it's the first instance in that book where you're like, oh my oh, god, shit. he's gonna be saved! And then, oh god, no, he's not! Oh god, it's gonna get worse! <laughs> I just, I, re- I will never forget how much I freaked out. I, that's what makes Misery so great. You come for the... Uh, honest depiction of addiction, you stay for the guy getting run over by a lawnmower. It's awesome. <laughs> oh, God. It really is. Uh, all right. Um, let's. It's facing the number 16 seed, The Running Man. Ben, thoughts on The Running Man? It sucks. <laughs> Honestly, I struggle to even... All of the space in my brain labeled The Running Man... <laughs> Is just the fucking movie. (laughs) It's, I can, if I think really hard, remember the book. And there are good segments in the book. It's still worth the read. It's so instantly covered up by Arnold Schwarzenegger in a goofy running suit (laughs) that it's hard to even talk about the book. Besides, like, all the weird race stuff, not great. 
having a character that is so having a protagonist that's so fucking unlikable. Do you mean Stone Cold Steve Austin? Yeah, not great. <laughs> I think yeah. If there's a my favorite part, it is once again like CM said for Misery. The best part of it was being able to talk about it <laughs> yeah. with you guys and the the goofy Stone Cold Steve Austin stuff. But the book itself is just kind of a, a cool idea that's a real fucking drag. See, the more time I've gotten away from The Running Man, I actually look on it a little fonder than when I did read it. Because when I read it, I was having to read it. <laughs> but looking back, I just have to remember the parts I liked. And it is so so I think it's one of those books that the further away you get from the things you didn't like about it, the things that are really cool are the things that will put that pop up in your head as like, yes, I remember this scene being super action packed and talking about what is the behind the scenes of this this show and and how are how is the network cheating, basically, and, mm. and what are their actual plans so I think some of that world building that I look back on was really cool. Sam, what are your thoughts on The Running Man? You literally took all of the words <laughs> right out of my mouth. <laughs> yeah. Huh. All right. Um, I'm going to kick things off with my my favorite thing from the book. Uh, that scene where he's working his way through the pipe after he sets the building to explode. Ooh. I felt so claustrophobic. And so tense with that entire scene. For me, I thought that was probably the most visceral part of the book that just like really, really got me. CM? Was it the part where he's ogling the breasts of the woman testing him? That has to be it. No. I, don't know. <laughs> I think my favorite part is probably Richard Dawson's portrayal of Killian. <laughs> Is just really good. He makes a wrong, great wrong thing, villain. Wrong, What's that? Wrong, you're talking about the movie again. We get fuck. All right. Well, let's uh, let's go ahead and get to our voting. Uh, so I'm uh, I'm gonna go first on Misery versus The Running Man. I'm gonna shock you guys. I'm gonna vote for Misery. Wow. CM. Misery. Ben. I gotta vote Running Man. <laughs> I, no, the the book. Oh shit, Misery. Got it. Okay. All right. All right. Misery. Surprising no one will advance in the tournament. Now it's time to find out what is going to be the opponent to Misery. All right, our second matchup. Our eighth seed, Joyland, versus nine seed, Eyes of the Dragon. I'm surprised Eyes of the Dragon was that low. I mean, not one of my favorites. Wait, is that how this works? How many did we read? 16. <laughs> oh, okay, nine. So it was in the middle. Never mind. <laughs> that that tracks. All right, Ben, do you want to talk about Eyes of the Dragon? Forgot how math works. <laughs> um, Eyes of the Dragon is fun. It really is. It's about the best thing I can say about it. <laughs> oh, oh, oh my God, I'm sorry. Did you guys know I was reading my Stephen King trivia book the other day? Okay. <laughs> That's what I do. Yeah, for fun. And the, one of the trivia questions was about Eyes of the Dragon. It was originally called napkins no <laughs> shut the fuck up <laughs> that's oh hilarious. my god that would have that's awesome <laughs> i never would have read it i never would have agreed to read it i i think that that makes sense for what i was about to say which is eyes of the dragon is cool because it is 
Stephen King's only YA novel. It would, number one with Bullet, always misery for new readers, unless I was talking to, like, a middle school kid. It's and a I softball. would say, yeah, you should definitely read Eyes of the Dragon. Yeah, I know sports. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that I have anything interesting to say about Eyes of the Dragon because it's just, it's not one that's ever going to stick in my memory. If I were trying to name as many Stephen King novels as I could off the top of my head for a fun game or whatever, I don't <laughs> that's know. That's a game CM plays. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, I don't know that I would remember to list Eyes of the Dragon. It's just, it's good, it's fun, but it's not one of his best. That's why it's number nine, man. Eyes of the Dragon was one that I read as a YA, and so it, it held that, like, magic in just the way you absorb things when you're a teenager is truly awesome sometimes. Going back and reading it as a as an adult, it lost some of that mystery and, and magic for me. And so judging it just from the first time I read it and looking back on it fondly, it's it's one of my top books. But when we had that we're we're analyzing it and going really in depth, it didn't make as much of an impact on me. Well, and I think that is kind of something that that we've we've kind of talked about. I don't know how much on mic we've talked about it, but how a book is like if we had read Eyes of the Dragon, like when it came out, and you know if podcasts were a thing, uh, it, we might have all scored that book a lot higher because there's something about the time it's released seems to affect a lot of people's feelings about certain books. Mm-hmm. Uh, same way, you know, like you said, reading a young adult novel as a young adult, it connects in a much different way. So I feel like. I, that definitely makes a lot of sense. I I do remember one of the things about Eyes of the Dragon that I both loved and hated was something we talked about of all of these allusions to other really cool yeah. side stories that are never probably never going to get fleshed out. And they've just kind of left more questions than answers. And, and I don't know. That's that's kind of the, the thing that has always made me pull back a little bit from Eyes of the Dragon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... Because, like I said, the I think in like the first episode of that series, that I felt the basic story was just really simplistic and just didn't didn't strike me as quality king. Uh, most memorable moment, Ben. Um. Uh, once again, not really a moment. I think it is, like you said, the lore, uh, the little details that are thrown in that makes you go, whoa. I want to read more about this world, specifically the origin of the dragon. What is it? Dragon dust? Dragon sand? Dragon sand. Uh, The origin of the dragon sand that very briefly flag talks about how it is from this far away mysterious continent where there is an entire desert of this sand that will cause you to die in the most horrible way possible. And that makes me go, whoa, that's cool. I want to read more about that. And then we get a a book about like some princes. (laughs) Okay. That's fine. Sure. Uh, Tying into that. I think for me, the most memorable moment of that book is King Roland's death. Mm -hmm. That whole 
the fact of them throwing water on him and it's evaporating before it touches him, how long it takes, how gruesome it is. That is the the scene that will always stick out in my head. For me, it is the finale because we have this final showdown with the big bad guy and our beloved true king Peter and his friends. And you think that he's going to be the one to take down Flag. And instead, it gets to be Thomas, which is sort of this redemption mm-hmm. for this character who King who King wrote so beautifully because he's this kid that... Uh, Things that happened were not his fault, and he's not really equipped to deal with the hand that he's been dealt. He's not super likable most of the time, but you do still feel sympathy and empathy for him. And then he has this moment, and you're like, yeah, it felt good. I I wasn't at all upset that Peter didn't get the shot, that it was Thomas. It was was beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. All right, uh, CM, your thoughts on Joyland. (laughs) Well, Joyland was my pick for us to read. It was like the first book that I picked out. Our second book ever. It was our second book ever, which is so crazy to me because Carrie was our first. But when I think about our podcast and I think about Joyland, it feels like our first book. I can't explain it. I don't know why. In my head, it is our first book. And I don't know if it's because I led that episode. It's my first time doing something like that. But Joyland is this just short, neat, cool story that has nothing really crazy happens. It's more just about this guy's life, just this brief period in his life. And I mean, there's some supernatural and everything, and it does get a little like murder mystery. And of course, I love that. But it shouldn't mean as much to me as it does. But it does. Fair enough. Ben, what are your thoughts on Joyland? Going into Joyland, I I remember when we decided, okay, our second book is going to be Joyland. And I think my original thought was, oh, really? (laughs) Like, it's understandable. I was so, there there are so many fucking King books. And Joyland was definitely not one that was even remotely on my radar. And I am so glad we wrote, reread it. It is really unlike any other King book we've read or that I've read, it is sweet. Does that make sense? It is just a, a really sweet coming of age story that also just so happens to have a murder and a ghost. (laughs) Like uh, it's really, really fantastic. I, I love Joyland. See, I find this matchup really interesting because, you know, we we talked about recommending books when people ask us, hey, what King book should I read? And if they are somebody who I know is not really into the the meat of the King genre, if they are into fantasy, I recommend Eyes of the Dragon. If they are into, like, crime stuff, Joyland. So it's to me joyland is just such a it's a good entry level king book if you don't like all the spooky scary stuff it's cool you say it's an entry level king book and it's one i recommend too where i know people are like i want to like king but it's too scary oh we'll read joyland then and you'll get a sense of what kind of writer he is and the kinds of stories and characters that he builds and even though it is an entry level book it's it has depth to it that is surprising for that kind of book. The relationships 
that he forms with all of the secondary and tertiary characters. Not a not a single relationship he has with any character in this book is wasted. Even the killer. Yeah, especially with the killer. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, the, it's granted it does lend itself to some some plot holes that we talked about on our episodes that or some things that we felt were kind of glossed over. So I mean, it's by no means perfect, but I I remember it being I don't know it, it felt like the perfect book to read as our second book mm-hmm. after we read it. Uh, CM, what's your the, your favorite moment from Joyland? What stands out to you? Annie Oakley. <laughs> <laughs> Just when Devin and Annie have that sex. That mo- <laughs> no, geez, <man>. sorry, what? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's when we get to find out a little more about her, and it later, like we don't know this at the time, it's foreshadowing this huge moment at the end of the book, and it's he King gives it just enough attention. That you know it means something, but you're not thinking of it as, oh, what's this going to turn into? You're just like, this is cool. Ben, what's your favorite moment from Joyland? Entire relationship between Devin, Annie, and Mike. And Mike. The the whole, I'm, my biggest secret as a person is I'm a huge softy. So <laughs> secret. So secret. I love a good romance i i really do i it, it just hits me and there the the i believe the scene where he's flying a kite with mike yes and they're just bonding and it it got me it it got me fucking hard and uh yeah the the relationship and the tragedy that they don't end up together at the end it's it's just a great great story I love it. Yeah, I similar. I think the the moment that always jumps out to me is that scene right before the finale where they take Mike to the park and the park is only yeah. for him. And just every moment of that whole scene is so touching that it made me forget that there's a serial killer on the loose. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, and that. Of course, the uh, on the Ferris wheel for that final scene on the Carolina spin, such a mm. a cool moment of of high tension, like not knowing how he's going to get out of this, but obviously he got out of it because he's writing a book about it, hmm. uh, and all the the pieces falling into place. I just I, I thought it wrapped up in a really fun way. All right, it's time to go around the table and pick our winner. CM, I love Joyland. Got to go with it. All right, Ben. This is another one. Honestly, this isn't even close. I think um, definitely Joyland. I'm going to go Joyland. All right, we're three for three on the first ones. (laughs) So we have Joyland moving on, and it will later face misery. But for now, we are going to... Okay, guys, are you ready for all of our listeners to hate us? (laughs) Our next matchup, Revival versus Salem's Lot. Our listeners don't like us talking about that. <laughs> uh, I'm going to, I'll kick things off uh, talking about Revival. Revival is such a, it's such a split book. Like so many people, when I talk to them about it, they either love it or they hate it. And I really enjoyed it. I, I like, in the same vein as Joyland, I like that when a book is not just about 
a single incident. I love stories that basically follow someone's entire life. And that's what we get with Jamie. Like we get to see how Jamie becomes the man he becomes and finds himself in a situation well beyond his control and uh, a slave to madness by the end of it, basically Uh, somebody who has to carry, who's constantly carried burdens as an adult, as he got older. And now he carries probably the heaviest burden by the end of the story. There's no happy ending for this character. The elements, I know, Ben, you kind of criticized a little bit the the magic lightning, secret lightning, and how that's really all you ever get of it is like, oh, it's it's secret magic. That's just that's all you get. But I didn't feel like I needed that to really appreciate the story it was telling. And, and of course, Father Charles Jacobs and the the tragedy that his life is that leads him to pushing this to a place that can lead nowhere but pain. And then it turns out the the whole thing with the null, like uh-huh. <laughs> the maddening dimension of ant people that uh, is our afterlife. It just, it took such a sharp twist and I, I absolutely loved it. CM, your thoughts on revival. <laughs> <laughs> you really couldn't have said it better. Revival introduces you to the our main character is a little boy and you like him right away and he's so endearing and then you get to grow up with him and his life does not turn out the way that you hope it does. He struggles. And when he's a kid, he's introduced to Father Lightning. And <laughs> <laughs> I can never remember. He has two first names and it throws me off. Charles Jacobs. Charles Jacobs. And their bond and their relationship is so beautiful. And this guy experiences this horrible tragedy of losing his family and then losing his town and then losing his mind, basically. And to be on that journey with them, and it's like, it just, it's a reminder that things are not black and white. People are multifaceted and there are other dimensions, like literally. And the, I, I mean, I'm a huge sucker for anything that gets even remotely Lovecraftian. So the null was just, even if it had only been a page, I'd be like, oh, I love this book. <laughs> <laughs> and ironically, this book ties to Salem's Lot with that book. Mm-hmm. So also funny that they're in this matchup together. Do you think people didn't like this book because there's no happy ending for literally anyone? I don't know. It's pretty dark. Like I, I have mm-hmm. reflected on it since we've read it and thinking like, what if that was knowledge that I had? Like I had seen Beyond the Door and I had seen the old ones, the stars screaming, the ant people and knew that like the, there is no escape from that. You die and that is it. That's really sad and terrifying. I don't remember exactly what score I gave this book, but I know that I, I think I was pretty critical of it while reading it. But I was thinking about it leading up to this episode and realized probably more than any other book that we've read so far uh, for this podcast, I think about Revival more than any of them. An alarming amount. It sticks in your mind. (laughs) It it has, yeah, stuck with me. And when I I was really thinking about it, the more I was thinking about it and thinking really fondly of it uh i think if i were to re-rate these every book that we have covered just from memory i guarantee revival would be the biggest change because 
looking back on it, I really, really enjoyed it for all the reasons you guys have said. And it did really bother me with the the secret lightning is kind of dumb on the page. But the idea of the the idea of something that is unexplainable like that, the the Lovecraftian angle of everything in the book and the idea of something, someone obsessively going after something so powerful that we do not and cannot understand is very scary. Yeah. And uh, yeah, just the more I think about revival as a whole the more uh, I really, really enjoy it. See, it's one of the reasons that I wanted to do this March Madness special because we've read so much now and time has passed. And I know that my opinions on several books have now changed with some time. So I thought this is a kind of a, this is exactly what I wanted from this conversation, I think, that like seeing how our thoughts and feelings have changed. And up next is a book that my opinion has changed a lot on since we've gotten past it, and that's Salem's Lot. Sam, do you want to talk about Salem's Lot? (laughs) Salem's Lot is my biggest regret. Really? Specifically because of our fans, because I remember reading it, and I love vampire anything. I will watch any vampire garbage (laughs) that crosses my path. And I thought I was going to like Salem's Lot so much. And I remember not really enjoying it. And I think part of it was maybe the pace of it. And I I just couldn't get past that enough to really appreciate the story. And it's one that's haunted me. And I've thought a lot about it because our fans have pointed out some things about it. And it's one that I would like to just personally go back and reread and see if I don't feel differently. Because it is a very instrumental book in the King universe. And... I I don't feel like I gave it a fair chance. It's a it's a vampire novel that is it was groundbreaking when it came out as a vampire novel, but as we discussed, there have been so many other vampire media that have come out that you go to Salem's Lot and reading it with all of the pop culture baggage we have now, mm-hmm. it seems pretty basic. Ben, your thoughts on Salem's Lot? Okay, listeners, I love all of you dearly. I uh, appreciate all of you reaching out, talking to us. Salem's Lot is just okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's it's fine, but it's I'm I looking back at it, the parts that I remember really liking are fucking awesome. Uh, pretty much everything with Mark Petrie. Mark Petrie rocks. Dope. Mark Petrie is a fucking awesome character. The villain, whatever. Barlow. Barlow, sure. It's <laughs> good, I guess. I, I I don't know. It's a fine book. But when, man, people, more than anything we have talked about, people got mad that we did not love Salem's Lot. And I, I'm glad you love it, listeners. I, I love hearing uh, all of your opinions, and that's awesome. I'm just, even now, looking back on it, I'm just like, meh. <laughs> it's vampires. It's it's vampires. Yeah. I So for me, this, this book has gotten better substantially the further I've got away from it. Because 
it for the characters spend so long doing things that don't make sense <laughs> in certain <laughs> sections of it. And, and I know it's, you know, uh, when you're writing, you can't just write obvious solutions and you have to write people making mistakes or else what's the story. But there were so many moments. I remember while reading it that I was less sympathetic and more annoyed with some of the primary characters and with just the the weird decisions they make or knowing that they operate on a sun up to sundown schedule, the weird choices they made <laughs> to do with their time, just some, I don't know, some things that just didn't sit well as I was reading it. But I am really surprised looking back on it now, if I'm talking about Salem's Lot with someone, how much of the detail I can still remember from that story, especially with the the townspeople and like all of their weird little side stories that I remember as read as we were reading it for the show and I'm making notes. I just kind of glossed over. I made the notes, but then when we got into record the episode, I just deleted them because I was like, we're not going to talk. We're not going to waste time talking about this thing. And it's cool, but it doesn't mean anything. But away from it, I remember all those like cool little vignettes in these people's lives. And, and I think that raises the book in my memory. Um, CM, favorite moment of Salem's Lot? Anything to do with the Marston house. (laughs) That, that piece has, that piece makes the book more fun to me because it's such a cool place. And you can see it it from wherever you are in town? Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) I I think it does a lot to lift the book up and kind of carry it through its more problematic pieces. Ben? Like I said, the anything Mark Petrie does. He's such a cool character. It's definitely a tie between the scene in his bedroom, the first time he is attacked yeah. by the vampire, mm-hmm. and as he's being hypnotized, he reaches over and grabs the cross off of his, like, Frankenstein yeah. toy set or whatever. <laughs> uh, between that scene and uh, the scene with Barlow in the Petrie house, where uh, the the big confrontation between him and Father Callahan. God, that oh, confrontation is so fucking his cool. His teeth are so big, he just goes, <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're thinking of the, the movie again. Damn it. <laughs> Going to the adaptation. Uh, yeah, the, the scene <laughs> with, between him and Father Callahan where he breaks it's, Callahan's faith. God, it's badass. Yeah. That one scene alone, I will give it up to everyone, makes the whole bar- book worth reading. And leading to, you know, Callahan going to the church and getting zapped away from his own church door. (laughs) I I can't wait until we see Callahan again in the future. Yeah. Oh, boy. Okay, that's another thing. (laughs) Fucking Father Callahan rules. Father Callahan is the tits. Amazing. (laughs) He's so fucking great. And it's funny because I read Dark Tower without reading Salem's Mm -hmm. Lot. So I had I knew that he was from. Salem's Lot, and that's all I knew. Uh, uh, I did it the other way around, and yeah. when he showed up, it blew my entire oh, I, fucking <laughs> I mind. I bet, man. I uh, bet that had to be a great reveal. I can't wait until we spend a whole year reading all the Dark Tower. <laughs> no <Ooh>. kidding. <laughs> uh, I think for me, it's such a small moment, and I think it is a Mark Petrie moment, too. I can't remember who's who's paired up at that moment. When they're going around the town the that final day mm. and they're like oh maybe we don't have to chop him up or stake him we can just put him in the sunlight and they throw the guy out in the sunlight and just watch him like sh- f- 
spazzing out and struggling, but mangly crawling himself back into like the darkness. Like he's sleep crawling Yeah. Almost. And then they're like, nope, guess we can't do that. <laughs> like that, that moment, I can just see it. It like burned into my memory so visually. And that was hands down by, I think, my favorite moment in that book. I believe in the episode I joked about throwing the baby out. Yeah, first. you did. Yeah, did. Yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> That's also why it's so fun for me. Get a good baby toss. <laughs> uh, all right, uh, let's go around. Revival versus Salem's Lot. CM. Revival. Ben? Def- yeah, I-, I have to give it to Revival. This is going to be controversial on the message boards. <laughs> I think. But yeah, I-, I really enjoyed Revival. I've got to go to Revival. As much as, like, there's so many times I've been like, man, if I had the chance to redeem myself a little bit from all the negative things I said about Salem's Lot, I'd like to take that opportunity. Re- it really now did seem like you were ramping yourself up there, <laughs> trying to, about to vote for Salem's Lot. I, I, want, I just wanted to make a point of how much better it has gotten since I've left it behind. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, just a revival. I feel I just, like... If we were doing a uh, a bracket for either best character or best villain, Salem's Lot would be way higher. Save it for next next March. Ben. Yeah, <laughs> but as a, an overall book, I just I like Revival a lot more. Yeah, I think Revival has more to say and gives you more. I agree that Salem's Lot was groundbreaking at the time that it came out, but that's mm-hmm. no, just not for us. Sorry, listeners. We love you. All right. (laughs) Next up. So we have Revival moving on, and we're going to find out who's going to face Revival in our next matchup. The Stand versus Carrie. Fuck. Ben. Fuck. (laughs) Thoughts on The Stand. First of all, this is just an impossible pairing. (laughs) Yeah, I told you. Some of them are not great. Like, some of these are legitimately difficult choices. Oh, my God. Okay, The Stand. It is a million pages long. <laughs> Everyone on Earth is a character uh, yeah, in it. Actually, and it takes forever to read, <laughs> and I love it. It's it's the stand. It's the stand. I I feel like the stand at this point among among King fans, it's not even a book. It's a meme. Like. <laughs> Uh, everyone has a very strong opinion of the stand. And as we talked about it, there are a lot of problems. There's long stretches of the book that are like, we can move on <laughs> at any point, but it fucking doesn't matter. Cause it's the stand, you know? Yeah. I'll read a Glenn Bateman chapter to get to a Nick Andrews chapter. <laughs> yeah. It, it's just, <laughs> quintessential and obviously I've said it a million fucking times it will always have a very special place in my heart for being my first king book it's the stand man I there's nothing (laughs) else to say and it's the reason it's lower on this list is because you gave it four out of five (laughs) yeah that's and and I think I stand by that (laughs) I stand by that because uh like I said it it man they talk about uh, governing bodies for a they real sure long time. Do. Getting to read The Stand for the first time as a part of this show was insane for me because I know so many people 
who, when they read The Stand, had no one to talk to about it, <laughs> which is something that I found the more King fans that I uh, meet and and talk to on our uh, social media and things and the emails we get, the one of the most common things is that, oh, I loved this book, but no one else I knew read it. And so hearing you guys talk about it made me want to say this, this, and this. And we get to have some of those conversations. And so I feel like The Stand is that book for so many people because it is, when you rank King books, most of the time when you see those lists, The Stand is number one. It's got some of the most interesting characters with some of the best depth. We we talked about how, like, tortured some of the characters that you don't know where they're going to fall on which side of the line. And you just don't get that from really any of the other books because this is a legitimate end of the world book. All right. Standout moment. What is the the biggest it's King moment for you? It's so hard to pick a single moment out of 1,500 fucking pages. <laughs> my knee-jerk reaction is to, to say anything with my boy, trash can man trashy represent him burning down the town that chapter (laughs) is astounding i i can't i can't pick a single (laughs) a single moment it's the whole book in my head is just it all runs together but in a good way it's i i try to pick a single moment and immediately a hundred <laughs> jump out in Larry in the tunnel, flag in the desert, Lloyd in prison. Ooh, uh, yeah. They're all so like CM said, iconic, iconic King moments. Can't pick. Well, if I had to pick and I will, and I am, I think my favorite moment, the moment that made me just go berserk is Dana versus flag. Mm. that whole the 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 knife blade (laughs) becoming a banana and then her impaling herself through broken glass Mm -hmm. it was just it was a a story arc that i i knew dana was never coming back i knew dana was marching to her death there was no way she was killing flag but i did not i i could have given you a hundred guesses and i never would have guessed how that final confrontation actually goes and how it uh, it it helps set flag up for his eventual downfall because once that moment happens, once she quote unquote gets away from him, that's when nothing else the rest of the book ever goes his way. And I just I think that moment's great. I'm so glad you picked that moment because it makes my job easier because I was having such a hard time <laughs> between that moment and the one I'm going to go with, which is when Tom is being hypnotized. Oh, and he's God. he's God's Tom, and they're all the people around him are just suffering with him, and he's asking them not to leave him in the darkness, you know, to hurry it up. And you know that they're sending this beautiful, sweet soul on just the most dangerous mission, and you don't know how it's going to turn out. And like, thank God. Tom survived. I could not have handled it if he hadn't. Oh, yeah, I would have lost it. All right. Now we're going to talk about Carrie. Carrie. Okay, here's what I have to say about Carrie. It 
was it is our 12th seed it was low on the list i believe we which all which is kind of crazy yeah i mean if i remember right uh a cm gave it five and you and i both gave it three if i recall and and i i feel like i stand by that rating reading it but this isn't about reading it this is about what is our favorite of these books carrie is a a timeless story i feel like you can take that plot and bring it to modern times and uh, you just have to lose the greasers. And that's pretty <laughs> much which we <laughs> King will never, we'll get never the lose the greasers. <laughs> you could make this story now and you would still have greasers. <laughs> There'd be a copy of popular mechanics at the Cavalier. Fast yeah. cars. Yeah. God, but th- there's something so great about this story. Uh, not only because when you go into it, because pop culture exists, you know that the ending is going to be bonkers, which is the same thing with, you know, the the remake, the sequel, the musical. You know that they're all building up to the piece you want to see, which is the destruction of Chamberlain. Sometimes you lose track of the fact that before that is just a very human story about a girl who doesn't have any options. Like a girl who's just thrown into a life where she has no escape from anything. And it's so tragic. And counterbalancing with the stand, the stand, you know, this a million pages long, I think carries what, 300 pages. Mm-hmm. And I, when we did that, you know, I read it and I watched every single one of those adaptations did not get bored with the, the story it tells at any time. Similar to the stand, Carrie sets up and contributes so much to the King world in so many of his other books and her character just like cuts straight to my heart. You know, it's also being a woman, I guess, I don't know if that's like a cop out, but that, that coming of age and she's going through puberty and her powers are changing. And it reminds me a lot of some of the conversation we had in Firestarter about Charlie and what might happen to her in the future and just knowing that what might happen to her seems more cemented because look at what happened to Carrie. This is the terrible tragic ending for people who don't deserve this. It'll always stick out to me and not only because it was our first book, but just that, that dynamic of, of her battling the hand she was dealt ultimately doing this terrible thing, killing a lot of people. But I, and I think we talked, she might have our, she might be our highest body count, but I don't hate her. I still feel so much for her. People are going to give us so much shit (laughs) for our ratings because looking back and hearing that I gave it a three, I do not remember my reasoning (laughs) because in my head, and maybe it is because it was our first book and like this, like Stan being my first personal king book this being our first book as a group the three of us it makes it special to me and looking back in it at it carrie is also iconic i think back to it and go yeah carrie's a great book so i i don't know where three came from (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah i'd have to re-listen to the episodes to find out i remember we were both had legitimate reasons Oh, for sure. And I know some of the I remember there being those like some of the uh, sections 
that go to Sue Snell's book mm-hmm. and to um, The Shadow Exploded kind of drag. They kind of bring the, the momentum of the story down. And there's it's got problems like uh, Mrs. Dejar- Desjardins mm-hmm. is a really inconsistent character, has really inconsistent motives. And so some of it just doesn't exactly match sure. up. But this, but you're right, man. This is it's, the stand versus Carrie is icon versus wh- icon. When absolutely, you think back to Carrie, the final third, even if the first two thirds of the book were have some legitimate problems, it's so good. The destruction, the the tragedy of the ending of Carrie makes up for it all. See, it's funny because the you take that last third of Carrie. And that's like the first third of the stand, <laughs> like yeah. the destruction of the world and and all that those crazy scenes we get. It's just there's so I don't know there's so much to to say and do about either one. Ben, lucky you! Oh Jesus Christ! The stand versus Carrie. This What's is your vote? Uh, an impossible choice. <laughs> they are. Uh, it doesn't matter what you vote for. Someone's gonna be because both of these, <laughs> I feel like, are definitely favorite book material. Oh, absolutely for a lot of our readers. But uh, for me, just maybe it is not even based on the book itself as much as what the book means. Does that make sense? Yeah. I have to vote the stand just because it's. It's the stand. It's the stand. If I didn't vote for the stand for favorite king book, I nothing would mean anything. <laughs> so uh, yeah, that's that's sure. my vote. There's so much to say and do about both of these books, and you know we we spent our first three episodes on Carrie. We did uh, roughly 700 episodes on the stand (laughs) spending. I have so much fondness for both of these worlds. And at the end of the day, the stand is an epic, but Carrie is timeless. And so I'm going to go with Carrie. Wow. Our first tiebreaker. Sam, this is all on you. I'm so (laughs) non-confrontational. I don't like conflict. Uh, That's too bad because whoever you disagree with, you can't be friends with anymore. (laughs) This is extremely personal. And if you don't vote for the stand, I will tear your house apart. So, Uh, sorry. If you do vote for the stand, I'll tear your house apart. (laughs) See, I just, we just gotta keep adding, keeping the balance level. Okay, the only reason that the vote that I'm going to make, which I knew before you guys made your vote, is because this is so hard. I'm having a really hard time with it. But it is the closeness and intimacy of Carrie Mm. that I think touches me a little more than the stand because the stand is such this much larger universe and you have so many characters competing for your time and attention that it doesn't it loses a little bit of that intimacy which is not even remotely a criticism of the Mm. stand it's not a bad thing it's just if i have to find one thing that would sway my very difficult vote (laughs) because they're both Mm -hmm. amazing 
that would be it. So I'd have to say Carrie. I, wow. I'm I'm not even upset. Like obviously, because <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, that it is a razor, razor thin margin between them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the twelve seed Carrie takes out the five Ooh. seed the stand. I, I might feel differently later. I might regret you're, it, but it'll you're be gonna too feel late. differently when <laughs> all of our fans yell at us <laughs> on the internet. Well, they can only yell at some of us. Yeah. <laughs> Well, to- yeah, fans, <laughs> I chose right this time. <laughs> All right, now, uh, this is a little tricky because different seasons had four stories in the book. And because I don't want to break that apart, I think it'd be more fun to make the four stories battle it out in a play-in game and find out which story will represent different seasons. So... For this episode, we're going to end on setting that bracket. Next episode, we will we will do the winner of those two. So, first up, Rita Hayworth and Shawshank Redemption versus The Breathing Method. All right, so we're going to do this playing game, but we're going to do it in a lightning round fashion because we've got two matchups to get through. So I'm only going to ask one of you to give your thoughts on it before we vote on it. All right, so first up, Rita Hayworth and Shawshank Redemption versus The Breathing Method. Ben, Shawshank Redemption. It is good. (laughs) (laughs) No, okay. So uh, Shawshank Redemption, it's another absolutely iconic story. I, much like the way you guys felt about Revival uh, and Joyland, having this story that takes place over such a long period of time in the life of this one man, Andy, is such a journey. We learn so much about him and who he is. His uh, He's such an amazing character. He's one of my favorite characters we've read because he's just this Superman. <laughs> like, his... Uh, his ability to go through all this hardship and come out the other side is so good. It's an astounding, astounding book. CM, The Breathing Method. This is going to be weird because The Breathing Method, if you guys haven't heard those episodes, was my favorite in different seasons. And I think you guys both, it was your least favorite. I think you both gave it like three. Yep. And everything that you guys didn't like about it, I loved about it, <laughs> which is, that sounds really like, <laughs> shitty, but no, it's because the, the breathing method was such a tease of a thing. And it was this glimpse in, into this, um, this place, this, this club that was connected to different levels of the tower, probably. I mean, we don't know, but that's what was hinted at with this mysterious character Stevens who is not human and and maybe he's a, a different kind of creature and then this beautiful story about this woman getting pregnant out of wedlock when that was not okay and this doctor not judging her and trying his best to help her and the way that ended and then just the whole concept of of these people coming together and telling stories. And then every Christmas, they t- one person tells an uncanny story. And you don't even get the first story that our main character hears. And it's so infuriating, but it, it just opens up your imagination to all these other things. And my brain just took off in a million different directions. I thought that he, King did it well enough that 
I wasn't, it, it wasn't lazy. It wasn't like, oh, he just didn't want to write this longer story or blah, blah, blah. It was, these are, this is hinting at things present in other books that we love so much. And it's one, it's still one of my favorites that we've covered. All right. Uh, now let's, uh, let's go around and do our votes. Uh, it's me going first. And uh, man, I have to say like, they're both really good books. They're both really good stories, but I mean, our, our Patreon show is called the club for a reason. <laughs> like it's so interesting. And, and, and again, this isn't, if we were discussing what is the best book, then obviously I would, would have to vote for Shawshank because it's just, it's better storytelling. It's better all around, but we're talking about favorite and favorite is subjective. And because of that, like I, when I think about the, this story, I am so stoked to talk to people about this story because it's, it's lesser known. And I find the elements so much more interesting now looking back than I feel like I gave them in, uh, in our initial read through. And so I'm going to go for the breathing method, the breathing method, Ben breathing methods. Good. But, uh, not that my vote means anything. (laughs) Uh, I do have to go Shawshank. It's, it's, Shawshank Redemption is so good. And um, I I would like Breathing Method more if it was uh, the first in a series of club, the club oh books. God, yeah. But as a standalone Shawshank Redemption, it's is nearly perfect. Ben, we know that the, the baby being born in the end of Breathing Method is Andy Dufresne. <laughs> wait, wait, did we discuss that in the episodes? Because this remember. blows everything wide open. I don't remember if we talked about it on air or not, or if this is an off mic conversation. But we talked about like her tenacity and her inability. Mm-hmm. She wouldn't even give up after being decapitated to give birth to her child. <laughs> passed on that determination to her child, Andy Dufresne. Well, that tracks. <laughs> All right, and our last matchup for this episode: apt pupil. Versus the body. CM, apt pupil. Fucking. No, can we switch? I want to talk about apt right. pupil. Thank you. Ben, mm-hmm. apt pupil. Apt pupil is the ugliest book I have ever read. Yep. It is mean. Mm-hmm. It is just despicable. And besides revival, it is also stuck with me so hard. It is, we live in a shitty time. And this book is so reminiscent of uh, some of the fucking awful views that are going around in the world. It is just fucking brutal indictment of hate. And it is not a fun book to read. But if you are looking for something that is going to gut you, you have to read apt people cm the body apt pupil is (laughs) (laughs) so dark it hurts my heart and i know i'm supposed to be talking about the body but when i think about different seasons favorite is the breathing method obviously the thing that i wish i could scrub out of my head is apt pupil for all the reasons ben said so much so that I'm like the body, the body, the but which one is the body? <laughs> Just because there's so much nap pupil that really reflects on a lot and is horrible to think about. The body 
by contrast is it was hard for me to get into I remember because it is such a story about young boys and four young boys and I couldn't quite connect with the characters I'm I'm sure as a male reading it it's it's probably or I shouldn't say as a male like that's so putting gender into a box but someone who can relate to what it's like to have those characteristics and grow up boyish I guess um, I'm sure it's like this beautiful friendship thing and they they go on this adventure <laughs> to find a dead it's body. beautiful, but it's... I, I just mean the connection yeah, yeah, between yeah. the characters. For and, sure. and they're all flawed. And that has its own charm and that makes you feel for them more. So the the body, like that's the thing I can appreciate most about it. It's not perfect characters that you can really root for and get behind. It's just flawed boys doing something they shouldn't be doing and stuff happens. <laughs> Nailed it. All right, CM. Apt pupil versus the body. This, I almost want to say apt pupil because I don't want people to forget how shitty we can be and never to be that way again. But it's it hurts me so much. I'm going to have to say the body. Ben? This one's actually really hard for me because I Super honestly tough. loved probably isn't the right word for apt pupil, but it is, I, I think it is an amazing short story. Um, but then again, I, I like things that are, people say, you know, talk about how King is, you know, he's the King of horror and, oh, horror is so dark. This is next level dark. But then again, the body is fantastic and also doesn't make you feel disgusting for a Reddit. So it's really, really hard. Just so it's not on me. I'm going to say apt people. Oh, fuck you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, (laughs) Oh God! Okay. Uh, I well, I, I was preparing an easy way out of this because I didn't think it would come to me. Yeah, uh, apt people just I felt gross the whole way through it. Like it's, and I even if it makes me feel bad, I love it when a story makes me mm-hmm. feel. Yeah. Yes, completely agree. The body has an opening paragraph that is so perfect Mm -hmm. it made me tear up when i read it and so it is like trying to decide between the most in my opinion the most perfect paragraph ever written (laughs) versus the most visceral experience drawn out um and i and i don't remember what i scored either of these but i if i remember right they were pretty middle of the road uh for various reasons Oh, I'm going apt pupil. Wow. I'm going was apt not pupil. expecting that. No, I Me wasn't either. either. I was not either. But if I think about it, the uh, taking the adaptation completely off the table because it's garbage. <laughs> yes. Um, that story. Uh, if I had to pick one of these two to read again, I might read apt pupil again because it's so much. The ending alone is like the, that a fucking- ending. Is punch insane. in the gun. It is it is a kick in the stomach of an ending. You guys it's are so right. Like in your rating is right, mine is wrong, but it cannot <laughs> change it. The point you're making about apt pupil, like it was really hard when you were talking, Ben, because I was like, damn it, he's right. Like <laughs> apt pupil 
does make you feel way more than the body, but just for the sake of my psyche and heart. No, absolutely. <laughs> and there is no right or wrong. No, I know. And I completely understand that because it, it is, it like, like I said, it's an ugly story. And if Ben had said the body, I would have just been like, whew. All right. I would have been been fine with it and let myself relax for not having to pick. So uh, that is it for this episode. We're going to kick next episode off with the final playoff of the breathing method versus apt pupil to find out who will play in representing different seasons. That's tough. Uh, So listeners, if you if you haven't yet, uh, please visit our website where you can print off a copy of this bracket and you can play at home. And uh, and let us know your thoughts, whatever you, you thoughts that you agree with, what you disagree with. This is just a, a fun, freewheeling episode for us to just talk about things that we've already talked about plenty before. It's fun to revisit. So we would love to hear your thoughts on revisiting those as well. Uh, for Benjamin Graham and CM Alexander, I'm Joshua Khan reminding you it's time for playoffs. <laughs> Hey everyone, Sam Alexander here. Thank you so much for tuning in to our March Madness special. This is a new thing for us this year, and we are pretty excited about it. We hope that you enjoyed it, and we cannot wait to see how you all ranked these books. If it was similar to us, if it was different, please, please share that with us. We cannot wait to hear from you guys. As always, please find us on social media, Dairy Public Radio, Email us at dairypublicradio at gmail.com. We really love your emails. And visit our website, constantreaders.org, for all things Stephen King and Stephen King adjacent. And don't forget to check out our Patreon page for extra special, amazing bonus stuff. That's all for now, listeners. Goodbye.